Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today we look at Revelation chapter 13 together, and this is one of those chapters of the book, probably right there at the top of the list of, of questions that people have and things that they're trying to figure out. You've got the first beast and the second beast. You've got the the mark of the beast, you got that number 666. So let's read the text together and then break it down. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword, and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand and on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So as we look at this text, we see the two beasts, and they have their authority from the devil, from the dragon, from Satan, from chapter 12. As we consider the chapter as a whole, really quick overview of it, what you want to see here is that God has, for a time, permitted the devil to grant his his powers to others to deceive and to attempt to destroy even the saints of God. 
even the children of God. But, and this is a, a key coming up in verse 8, that those whose name has been written in the book of life will not worship the beast, either beast or the dragon. We will not bear the mark. We will suffer. We will be persecuted because of this. But our name is in the book of life, and in the end, God will win. So that's the focus. That's the comfort that we want to have in our families and in our homes. We've lived in a fairly comfortable culture for a number of generations now, and many Christians believe that is changing. I would count myself among the group. The Bible promises that we will be persecuted, so I, I take that to heart. And that's okay. Christians today need to hear that. If the world turns against you, it is okay. You don't have to give in. You don't have to wear the mark of the beast. We'll talk about that in a little bit. In order to fit in. In order to live in this world. You don't have to. Christ is victorious. He will save. Trust in him always and above all things. So this first beast comes out of the sea. The sea in Revelation often represents chaos and evil. And really a neat note I picked up from Dr. Brighton's commentary on this one. The very last verse of chapter 12, the devil is standing on the sand of the sea. So he's standing on the beach looking out over the sea, waiting for the beast to come up. Interestingly enough, if you picture this as as where John was writing to, you think of the, the nation of Israel that had been God's people in the past, where the Jews live, where Jerusalem would be. So you go there on a map, and you find the sea. You find the beach, and that would be the Mediterranean Sea, and you're going to be looking out west. And when, when you look out west on the sea from the direction of Jerusalem, what are you looking towards? You're looking towards Rome which was the empire, it was the, the governing authority at that time. So here, immediately then, the mind of, a, of the reader is to be called to this first beast being the political beast. This first beast represents all corruptible human authority, that Satan can take this political beast, whatever government it is at any given time throughout the world, and he can use them to make war against the church. To make war on, from chapter 12, the woman and her offspring. So the church and the individual Christians in it. Have governments done that throughout time? Oh yes, without a doubt. We have seen it in the big picture. So you think of the Roman Empire that John is writing about at the time that persecuted and killed the Christians. You think today, even in the American context, as our government has taken specific individual Christians, and taken them to court because the Christian would not participate in the economy the way that the government wants them to. Um, those have been a couple of prevalent news stories in recent years, and I anticipate those will only become more and more prevalent over the next few years. So the devil uses these. The dragon, the devil, has given them his power. They have ten horns and seven heads, just like the devil does in 12.3 but their, their crown sit on the horn, not on the head. So unlike the devil, who is, is the one who is in charge at this point, 
not ultimately God is still in charge, but the devil believes he is. The devil is lending his power to these beasts. So the beasts themselves do not have the same authority. The devil is, is granting that to them, but he is still the one who oversees their work. So the things coming from the first and the second beast are the works of the devil. Now, blasphemous names were written on their heads, so they aren't, they aren't God, but they will pretend to be in many ages. I mean, how many Caesars in the Roman Empire thought that they were God and instructed the people, forced the people to worship them as though they were? The mortal wound of verse 3, rulers do not rule forever. They are struck down and new rulers pop up in their place. So even though it looks like a, an evil government is taken out, it looks like it took out one of the heads, another one just replaces it. Another evil ruler just shows up. And that leads into really verse 4. The people worship the dragon, the people worship the beast, who is like the beast, who can fight against it? How many times have have people in the world said such things about terrible and corrupt evil governments? probably uh, unlimited amount of times. You think of, again, the evils and the atrocities of the Roman Empire and how people would have felt powerless to, to fight back. You think of um, World War II in more recent history and the evils that were committed by Adolf Hitler and his regime. And the people, they didn't know what they could do in response. This beast is proud and speaks words against God. It is given authority for 42 months. So that's, again, that three and a half years, that whole period of revelation from Christ's ascension to his second coming. This beast reigns for that time, fights against the saints for that time. Right? He utters his blasphemies against not only God, but also his dwelling and the saints that are in it. But... We do not. The Christian does not worship this beast. Our names have been written in the book of life. The book that belongs to the Lamb who was slain, who is Jesus. You can talk about the book of life with your children here. Um, you can ask if their name is written in the book of life. Basically, whoever's name is in that book is going to be saved. Um, that gives us the picture of Paul, uh, Peter at the, the gates of heaven that we have so famously in our minds. And he's got the book, he's standing at a podium, he's got the book and you come up, the long line of people waiting to get in and you give him your name and he looks in the book. Oh, yep, you're here, come on in. Not really how it's gonna work according to what scripture tells us, but um, the book of life is something that we hear enough about in scripture. So we can certainly talk about it. We can, we can talk about how do we know if our name is written in the book of life or not. The book of life is all those who have faith in Christ. So do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, that he rose again on Easter Sunday, Sunday morning, so that you could live with him forever? If you believe that, your name is in the book of life. And that's a wonderful thing. And the devil cannot take it away from you. The first beast, no matter what the government does to you, cannot take it away from you. Neither can the second beast. We're going to talk about that one in just a moment. But before we get to that, we have to look at 
what John says. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. If anyone is going to be taken captive, he goes. If anyone is going to be slain with the sword, he's killed by the sword. We are not, as Christians today, we are not to resist persecution. We aren't to fight back. If the beast seeks to persecute you, let him. And gladly endure it. Why? Two things. One, even though what he is doing is a wicked sin, harming the children of God, harming the cre- creation, creation, sorry, creatures of God, he nonetheless has the authority for the time. And he will have to give an account of himself before God someday for what he has done. But number two, and probably more important, probably should have been number one, it is in the suffering of the Christian that we shine like a light to the world around us. This is basically the entire purpose that Peter writes 1 Peter to the church for, so that they would know as they suffered at the hands of the Roman Empire that their suffering was not in vain, but that instead their suffering shared the gospel with the people persecuting them. That as they harmed the Christian, and they saw the Christian living on, they saw this Christian enduring, they saw this Christian having some kind of a a strange and foreign hope that they could not understand, it would bring them to ask why. And so Peter tells us to always be ready to give the, the defense for the hope that is in us always ready to tell others about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, because it is that way that we shine. We shine the light of Christ to the world. And so we endure. Now, the second beast of of Revelation 13 here is the religious beast. Uh, It is identified in chapters 16, 19, and 20 as the false prophet, and in chapters 17 and 18 as the harlot. So we're going to see a lot more of of both of these beasts, really, in the time to come. So you have the political beast first, and then you have the second beast is the religious beast. And we're going to see, again, we're going to see them actually work together, and we're going to see them fight against each other. It's always the case when you see evil in stories, right? Evil sometimes gets along, but it oftentimes will attack itself. And that's certainly true of these beasts. So here we have... This beast has only one head with two horns, like a lamb, so it looks innocent. It has certainly less power, but it speaks like a dragon. So its speech is authoritative, and its speech is crafty or cunning or deceptive, as the devil in the the Garden of Eden had been with Adam and Eve. It has the authority of the first beast, and it makes the world worship the first beast. So again, this is a thing of the two working together. We can certainly picture times in history where the religious beast, the the false religion of the world, indeed forced the people of the world to worship the first beast, to worship the government. We already mentioned the times when people worshipped Caesar as though he was God, and they had to. And you can see before Rome that that was the case, and it happens after it as well. Uh, The worship of the king is, is one such example. Now, 
This beast is able to even perform signs, such as making fire come down out of heaven. It's a sign of power. It's a sign of authority. It terrifies the people and causes them to think that this beast is real. To think, real isn't the right thing to say, that this beast, this religious beast, this false prophet is a true prophet. If they can call down fire from heaven, then surely this must be be the true faith that we should follow. But instead, they are simply calling upon the devil's power to intimidate and to, to fearmonger. And that leads to the worship of this second beast. Now, one of the things that's going to come up here, uh, the mark of the beast is, is in this text, verse 16. It causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead. So to be marked is historically something that has been common uh, of a slave. Um, not sure why American culture, the free people of America, have taken so so much so to tattoos. Tattoos historically have been used to brand slaves, uh, which doesn't really fit in with how America rebels against those kinds of things today. But whatever, <laughs> that's just a, a thing that doesn't make sense to me. But here we can picture that helpfully in this text. What this is saying is that the world, the people of the world are being marked. They are not children of God. They are slaves to the false beasts of and the power of these false beasts. The right hand has a reference to their work. So all that they do, they do for their government. All that they do, they do for their false religion. This has been so true uh, for such a long time. Even in today's culture, even in American economy, what, you know, <laughs> when you really boil it down, what are we working for? Why did we fight so hard so that both mom and dad could be in the workplace instead of in the home? It's an interesting thing to consider. And then not only the work, but also the forehead, which represents the mind. So the people are, of the world are enslaved in their work, and now they're enslaved also in all their thinking to, to these beasts. I mean, American culture, I mean, think of that. Even in the church, think of how much the church today worships worships, and I mean worships, idolizes American politics. Republican, Democrat, they are untouchable gods to the Christian today. And that is a cause of great sorrow for, for faithful people in the church um, to see that, to see the hatred that Christians show one another over politics is, again, sorrowful. God, so, so with this mark, if you do not have this mark, you cannot buy or sell. You cannot interact in the marketplace. We should probably just leave this as simply as saying the Christian here who is not marked, we don't have a promise from God. We do not have a promise from God that he is going to protect our earthly efforts that he's going to protect our earthly affairs, that he's going to protect our income or our home. 
Luther famously wrote in his A Mighty Fortress is Our God, you know, his famous hymn of the Reformation, that even if they take our goods, fame, children, wife, even if they take our life, they cannot harm us. The victory has been won, and the kingdom remains ours forever. And this is true. This is the hope of the Christian. This is what we cling to. Now, as for the number of the beast, number 666, there have, of course, been all kinds of ideas about this throughout the ages, two that jump out to me as the two most likely. So John writes this as a bit of a puzzle. Why most likely is if the letter gets intercepted and is read by a Roman official, that it will not cause harm to the church when John is pointing to the church, uh, sorry, to the Roman government as being the beast. Um, you don't want to do that. You don't want to harm your fellow Christian in that way. So this is a little more cryptic. And the two main ideas that, again, jump out to me. One, as John says here, that, that the number is the number of a man. It was common in, in different parts of history uh, for this practice called gematria, that you would actually assign each letter of a name a number. And so when you add all the numbers of that person's name together, you get a, a bigger number. And that number could then be used to represent that person. If this is the case, then we would be looking at Nero Caesar. When you take Nero Caesar and you move that into the Hebrew language, the numbering then would add up to 666. Now, Nero had been dead for probably 20 to 30 years when John writes this, but he was symbolically, not symbolically, he was the chief persecutor of the Christian church. He despised the Christians. And so that hatred for the Christian church continued onward, and his his impact was still being felt at that time. So for this to be Nero Caesar, certainly a possibility, and would simply then be a reference for the people to Caesar generically, that Caesar is the one that they should be looking out for. The other possibility that is here that I think has some merit to it is to look at what the number 666 is not. The number seven has been the number of perfection. And so we think of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we give all three persons, we would then say 777. You don't really see that number, but you can you can picture that idea real quickly as I describe it. So you get 777, so Father is perfect, Son is perfect, Spirit is perfect. That is the Holy Trinity. 666 falls short of that, one short each time. It has been pretending, as we saw with the dragon and the beast, having the horns and the heads, they're pretending to be God. They are being blasphemous. They're trying to take his authority. They're trying to take his power, but they fall short. So 666 is then the number of the unholy trinity, the dragon and the first and the second beast. That's not a bad, bad way to present it either. I would probably lean towards Nero Caesar myself, but just to give you a couple possibilities here. Tomorrow, as we look into chapter 14, we're going to be seeing, again, another one of those famous revelation numbers, 144,000.